poppin', everyone. Welcome to Blazing Rye Radio. It is Thursday, February 16th, 2012. We got less than 24 hours before this Shorty Awards voting closes. So holler at your boy and cast a vote. Shortyawards.com slash Blazing Rye. We got 24 hours to make it from position number 12 to position number 1. We all do a little shakedown. We can rock this shit out. Uh, tonight on the show, we have a great show. We have musicians Tom Fuller, Martina Downey, and, of course, we have Ed Hale. Uh, but first, I'd like to introduce my co-host. This is a good friend of the show. He's been on countless times, uh, and he has directed a new show called Tense Hall Tales about the men I love, which will premiere at Justin Memorial Church, February 24th. Please welcome my co-host, acclaimed choreographer, Tom Fuller. <laughs> Hey, hey, thanks for the shout-out. Hey, Sire, how are you? Pretty good, you? I'm doing all right. What's uh, what's going on? What's going on in your life? Tell me about this show. Uh, Just sort of mad, crazy rehearsal time, you know, when you get down to a week before a show. Uh, you know, the shows I did last year seemed to be all all women all the time. I decided I'd sort of had enough of that for a bit, so I found a short story that, was based on uh, ten men and wrote the adaptation and sent it to the the author and he gave me the go ahead with it so we're gonna throw it up and see what happens next week. So it's uh, for Very ten nice. men and it's uh, just sort of encapsulate it quickly. It's uh, about living, loving, and dying in the time of AIDS. And is it set yeah. during when the epidemic was uh, just raging through the uh, country? Yeah, yeah, you know, sort of, sort of uh, I've set it up as sort of a little memory play, a lot of flashbacks, and uh, you just get to know, you know, short little snippets of these ten guys and how they all sort of interconnect in a very sort of Robert Altman-esque way, and the whole oh, thing cool. runs about 50 minutes, so it's a short, quick little evening in the theater. Awesome. And I do have to uh, mention joining us for our panel I see you. She hosts yes. karaoke in Kinney's Hole. Please welcome <laughs> Michelle Kinney. Brian, it sounds like there's an awful lot of people in your apartment <laughs> caring there, for me. There are. I okay. never understand why they come to my apartment to look at me instead of go to the, the guest place. I don't know. I don't um, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, Michelle... Uh, let's let's address the the elephant in the room, if we will. Uh, we lost a, a great voice over the weekend, uh, Whitney Houston. Um, I noticed something. I I did not know that she had passed on Saturday night, and I went to a movie. Um, it was that Denzel Ryan Reynolds movie, and the way that people were behaving from the time my roommate and I got on the train to the time we left that movie theater was really insane. Like real strange behavior. I knew something. I was like, we walked out of the house. I said. There's something weird about this night, and I, I guarantee it's because Whitney died, and that's and people were just didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, Michelle, what do you think? Um, I absolutely agree. Um, was it a full moon? I don't know. Was it? No, that was earlier in that week. It was earlier in the week, so yeah. maybe there's a little remnant left over. But yeah. um, you know, it, it was a funny night. Um, you know, I had just gotten back from um, I was covering Fashion Week. Um, 
all last week and uh, had stopped over to Miss Emerico Olivo's uh, apartment. We were having dinner, and it popped up on both of our phones at the same time. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So we, we, we turned on Whitney Houston um, videos and, uh, you know, MP3s and things like that. We were listening to her. And then I kind of went outside, and I walked by a gay bar, and it was like, I got fun in my It was like, you know, every, everybody everywhere was listening to um, to Whitney Houston. I don't know. It's sure. so sad. It's very mm-hmm. tragic. But, yes, I thought that the, the reactions from people were were was interesting, interesting. And speaking of, Tom, what was your reaction? Well, sort of the same thing. I mean, I was in the middle of a rehearsal, and this young intern that was helping us out, you know, 16-year-old, totally clued in and texting the entire time, like suddenly just sort of had this gasp and shared with the room that the news was that she had just died. And it just, uh, I think everybody just immediately started sharing their little one-off Whitney stories. You know, because you're sort of not believing that it's that it's real. That's you know, what I mean, I immediately thought of the night that I found out that um that Michael Jackson passed away. It was that that, yeah. that same kind of um like right. what really? Right. He was a troubled person, but still shocking. You know. There's something about news. losing an icon, and there's something about being in this city <laughs> when that icon passes. That is. It's very, I don't know, but there's, there's, there was something very weird in the air the day that Michael Jackson died. Um, but, yeah, it, but it also was something beautiful in that every bar became a tribute to Michael Jackson. Every dance uh-huh. club, Michelle Tini's birthday, became a tribute oh, to, right. to MJ. Oh, um, and, uh, and, yeah, Whitney, too. But I walked, I went to a gay bar on Saturday night, and the, they were playing uh, Mariah Carey and then a little Mary uh-huh. J. Blige and then finally Whitney, and I was like, Wait a minute, they're playing Mariah. I thought it was a little bit. I, I wouldn't do that if I were the DJ. Sire, what do you think? Uh, well, what club was it? <laughs> I know that's the question. You know how those things go. You know, some people are just clueless to that. Which which club was mm-hmm. it? Vlada. What about you, Michelle? Oh, Vlada. They have the <laughs> the the good vodkas there. Um, well, how do I what do I think about that? I think that's Oh, that's silly. They gotta capitalize on on that, you know, or or at least, you know, pay homage to to Miss Whitney, especially. Especially. I'm like, if you're gonna go listen to some Mariah Carey, so I'm like there's not a lot of bars that you can go to that are gonna play Mariah and Mary Kay Bonds and Whitney Houston all night long. It's very, very sure. slim picking. So I would I would think that Blotter would pick up on that personally. But, right, but uh yeah. Michelle and Ryan though having just said that then what do you think of um, the party going on that night out there in in the same hotel and everything? Oh, okay. This I you know, I just I, I'm really sort of like I go back and forth on that one. I mean, it seems like Clive. I understand Clive. You know, was sort of yes, her father at that point, and that mm-hmm. as he says, she would have wanted that. But well, there was see, just something about that that was just a little creepy to, to me. Yeah, I mean, I know that he didn't go to the pre-Grammy party. I know that he stepped out and he, he didn't go. But the, the the weird thing about it is that um, Ryan, I don't, I don't know, Tommy might know her, might know her as well, um, Daisy Prince was Facebooking about um, she was in the hotel the night that she passed away. Uh, and she said uh, that it was a 
complete madhouse, and that her and her husband, or maybe it was just her husband, had met Whitney two nights before, and that um, she just came up to him and just started talking to him. It was very kind of strange but cool, and, you know, oh, my God, Whitney Houston. And then two days later, she was gone, and they said that the the spectacle in the hotel was just so completely insane. I mean, I was following her Facebook status updates. They were just, I mean, it was crazy. She said that everyone from, you know, people who were at the hotel staying there to reporters trying to get in, like everyone was trying to get a piece of what was happening in like a really disgusting kind of way. Yeah. And she said, um, she said helicopters were constantly hovering over. Some of her friends were there like, like in a red carpet kind of way, like waving to fans. Like it was really like really messed up. And you know, oh. the whole thing was really kind of disgusting. So I, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know the you whole know love. If Michelle Kinney says Facebook posts were crazy, then you know that things were on some fragging echo bowl that night. So yeah, um, yeah no, they have, and they have this uh, person, Ryan. They have this Martina person Downey coming up in just a sec. Um, but uh, uh, Martina, just hang in there. We're, we're paying our, our respects. Uh, Tom, what were you going to say? Uh, it was just odd. There was this uh, moment on CNN where this reporter is outside talking about, you know, how downbeat and sad and everything, all the people that were, like, gathering there. And then you hear this, like, blasting party going on in the background yeah. right outside mm-hmm. the hotel where the pre-Grammy party was going on. And it's just sort of like, really? It's kind of one of those things where it's like life goes on, but does it have to go on so immediately? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it's that. Like, that's, give it a moment. That's the question. Give it a moment. You know. Yeah. yeah it's a moment. And speaking of Grammys, um, let's. Uh, Mich- Michelle, what was your favorite performance at the Grammys? Well, you know, just because she's my girl and she's been through it, I'm gonna have to say Adele. Um, I know there were a lot of other great performances that night, not including Chris Brown. Um, <laughs> but, but I hate him. <laughs> I really, really hate him. Um, I tweet at him a million times a day because I hate him. Um, but Adele, I thought that, you know. Wait, what did you tweet Chris Brown? You don't want to know. <laughs> no, you can say it. You can say it. Um, there were a lot of them today. Um, I mean, I have Wait, to look at You've just been tweeting Chris Brown nonstop? I do it all the time. I think he is a vile <laughs> human being. I think, he I think he's trending. He is. Um, Chris Brown pickup line, lines is is, um, is trending. On Twitter, oh boy. no joke. No joke. I think I. I well, think especially I when he won that Grammy for best R&B album, and everyone was tweeting like, "Oh, Chris Brown beat up all the competition, or beat out all the competition." You know, everyone was tweeting that little joke there. Well, yeah, he's the new I Bobby mean, Brown. Oh, he's such yeah. a mess. Hey, oh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because think, okay, so Chris Brown beat up Rihanna, Bobby Brown beat up Whitney Houston, huh? uh, Jackson Brown beat up Daryl Hannah, and James Brown beat up his ex-wife. Is there something about that last name? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Did, did I'm sure about like that. Anyone? <laughs> no, not uh, sure about no. that. Um, I mean, it's an odd coincidence. That's well, and I still wonder about uh, sexual confusion with the first two you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, and well, uh, and uh, Tom, what was your favorite Grammys performance? Uh, I guess I'd have to say Adele as well. I was just amazed that at the end of it, it was really sort of like the torch was being passed. Yeah. You know, I here we had so. this like moment, 
and the elephant in the room the entire evening was was clearly Whitney, and then Adele sings, and it's just the fact that the that the reverence of that room, and that the applause mm-hmm. and the yelling, and and to see Rihanna just like screaming, you know, and like hooting, and that it went on yeah. so long. It went on to the point where literally, I mean, they just ended up going to a commercial. As Adele's like, you know, looking off, what do I do? What do I do? You know, she yeah. was sort of having her. Uh... I thought it was. I actually just got some goosebumps even you talking about. I I just I think that she seems like such a lovely person, and she's worked so hard, and she's so young. But I think that she's have she's such an old soul, and I think that mm-hmm. you know, I've never really lost my voice, um, maybe longer than a day. And mm-hmm. I could never imagine having vocal surgery and having to go through that because it is such an emotional experience too, I'm sure. And and having people going in and cutting things and I and then to come out and be able to sing that song, which by the way is a ridiculously hard song to sing. Yeah. And singing at the Grammys yeah. in front of millions and millions of people all around the world, I think that she she completely proved her superstardom and artistry. Absolutely. And and I think that. She, well, we've only just begun to see what she's capable of, is what I personally think. Yeah. Well, i got to say that there's, you know, I really enjoyed seeing Brian Wilson back with the Beach Boys, but yeah. you know how Maroon 5, you know how Maroon 5 in that song made me feel? Uh, Maybe the way Ben the Foster, Foster kids made me feel. <laughs> a certain way. A certain way. Here we go. When you just don't know what you're feeling, you can't find the right word to say. Well, that's the moment you start to realize you're feeling a certain way. You feel a certain way. I feel a certain way. I bet everybody's feeling a certain way. I feel a certain way. You feel a certain way. So many things that make me feel a certain way. Is that Erica? Anyway, that is Erica. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, who's this singing? And I was like, oh, I know that riff anywhere. That's Erica Lovett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, obviously Adam Levine. The one thing we can usually count on, on him for is to hit the high notes. He couldn't do it that night. That made me feel a certain way. Foster uh, the people made me feel a certain way in a different kind of way. And uh, it, but it was cool overall, except for Maroon Five. Anyway, Michelle, are you sticking around or you got to go? Can I stick around for like a little bit and then <laughs> I really I have to go to work then. But I don't sure, want to like. Sure, you just say the word. I don't want to muster up the energy there. You know, I want to. I don't want to like mess it up. <laughs> um, no, you can never mess it up. Uh, so our first guest uh, has an event coming up uh, at New York and Poets Cafe, February nineteenth, uh, and uh, she's a very talented singer. Please welcome to the program, Martina. Daniels. Lovely fans here, Ryan. How, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm okay. So sorry for the, the wait. How, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Good. I'm I'm so glad you're on. Uh, now, you have this event coming up um, yeah. February 19th. Uh, t- tell us what it's about. Well, uh, the event is called Occupy the Heart Valentine Variety Show, uh, and it's um, post-Valentine, the spirit of love, 
Uh, it's at the New Yorican Poets Cafe, and it's a variety show of LGBT artists uh, yeah, that will be performing in the New York area. And um, we'll be down in the, uh, in the village at the New Yorican Poets Cafe. And it's a part of the uh, 2012 Fresh Fruit Festival, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun, just a lot of love, romance. It's being hosted by uh, my producer, Robert Urban. Um, of mm-hmm. Urban Productions, and there'll be a number of different wonderful artists and talent artists there. So I'm excited. Lovely. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Martina, in case you didn't know, it's a it's a party here tonight. We have uh, yeah, uh, just party. big co-hosts galore. Yeah, <laughs> I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, speaking of, you just mentioned LGBT uh, community. Uh, I just wanted to uh, interject that uh, Chris Christie is a big fat idiot. And other observations. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you from? You're from Jersey, right, Martina? Oh, I'm I'm born and raised in New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl all oh. the way. Yeah, I grew up in a town called Patterson, which is about uh, ten miles west of Manhattan. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm from this area. It's a very small area, but very dense with with people. It's small and big at the same time. You know, when I, I grew see. up in Patterson, it was it's sort of like you know. Oh, we get to go on the bus to go to New York, the big town, but we're only ten miles out from from Manhattan. So <laughs> when you're when you're young, it's you know it seems big. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now you are known for combining different genres together. What was your initial inspiration for combining psychedelic rock with old school R and B? It's hmm. really how I was raised. You know, I grew up. <laughs> um, my parents grew up in the South. They were from the South. Uh, they were raised in the South, the Southern Church, the Southern Southern Baptist, uh, and so there was all that gospel music. My mother liked gospel music. My father liked barbershop uh, quartets. And when I was young, they would take us to these uh, these these you know, these churches uh, throughout uh, different places. We would get uh, the whole spectrum of you know gospel music, you know the collegiate gospel music. The you know the the church uh, the Southern Baptist gospel music. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, so I didn't really have you know we didn't really play gospel music. We're not allowed to play gospel music. We had Gregorian chant, we had the uh, the folk music, um, and then you know I grew up I you know I listened to the Beatles, I, I listened to, to Bowie, I listened to rock music. I grew up on N.E.W. Uh, so it, it was just a whole smorgasbord. And then you had my mm-hmm. the younger generation, which was my uh, my siblings who were old enough to be my parents, so they brought up, you know, Temptations and Motown and Sly and the Family Stone. And so when I was a kid, I was listening to all this great music. It was just coming out. It was hot. It was, it was in the house all the time, live. It was, it was there. Um, uh, my sister used to say the Supremes was rock and roll. Now, I have a whole different concept of rock and roll, but all of that is what I listened to at the same time. So I could listen to Bootsy Collins. And and then put on a Brian Eno album right after. Is it something I just did? You know, it didn't seem right. that they were all related to me. Now, what you just described sounds like any typical evening at Tom Fogarty's house. Tom, <laughs> am I, <right? laughs> I was gonna say in my house too. Like I'm completely, I'm, I'm totally enamored. Like listening to you, talk. I, I feel exactly the same way. That's I grew up on everything, and I it kind of fused with everything that I was exposed to as a as a kid with mainstream music as well. But my parents being uh, baby boomers, you know, I listened to a lot of rock and roll, Rolling Stones, and my dad's a huge ACDC fan, and, you know, so I, I listened to everything, and that's really, I'm sure, as you as well, Martina, um, 
has such a effect on how you sing and what kind of music you like to sing and the kind of music you like to write. So Absolutely. I totally am right there with you. That's so interesting. Right. Martina, I'm really looking for this is Tom here. I'm really looking forward to uh hearing the whole album because what I heard on the website that Ryan sent me a clip to and mm -hmm. Hurricane I just absolutely love. And what you just said, it's like I can literally hear all of those little bits mm -hmm. as it goes through. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, just sort of there. Yeah, it's and, and a field. sort of side bit is it really reminds me of and again, not this, I tr mean this as a true compliment because mm -hmm. it's just sort of the rawness of Joan Armitrading when she was starting up in Columbus, Ohio. Because I was at Ohio State at the time that she was playing, you know, like the little dives around campus. Mm -hmm. And it's just that same sort of, if you just give yourself over to listening to what people channel through themselves, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be labeled any one particular thing. Just okay. go with it. And, Joan and Armitrading was that a, about a your big sound. influence on me. Big influence. Um, I. So this this um, moment, Martina, where you you took out a quarter, put it in the jukebox, and discovered David Bowie, um, was was this uh, an epiphany, or as the bartender down the street would say, was that the epiphanotic given in your life? It, it was amazing. I'm like, who? I'm like, who is this guy? I mean, his music just just was so electrifying. I could relate mm -hmm. to the soul. I could relate to the the lyrics. And then when I saw what he looked like. I was like, I was just even more and more curious and curious about who this person was. And um, and the more I listened, the more I watched, the more I saw these different characters and, um, and the whole theatrics of it all, I was mesmerized by Bowie. I liked him because he was, um, he was brave. He was going places that nobody was, was, was able to do, and he was able to get away with it. Uh, yeah. And he did it successfully, and and that's what drew me into him. Uh, the the theatrics, the the makeup, the the gender bending, the and he was enjoying it, and that's what really uh, got me uh, hooked on, on David uh, Bowie. And it sure. seemed real at the time too, didn't Martina? I mean, it didn't it, seem like it was a gimmick. No, like so in many fact, of, the musicians, like so many of the young kids are doing today. You know, it's like it wasn't so sexually. You know, off-putting and disorienting. It was just, this is who I am, and deal with it. Yeah, you know, he had first-rate musicians. Yeah, always had first-rate musicians yeah. in his band. I mean, people like Luther Vandross. Uh, you know, just really star people in his in, in his entourage uh, that worked with him. Uh, that you know, and, and he featured these people. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, all these different eras. Uh, he people that he collaborated with, uh, and he was just a real. Uh, I appreciated his musicianship, um, his his the way he worked with different bands and different individuals, and uh, I just I just re was really drawn into his whole approach to music uh, as a musician as well. Yeah, um, and speaking of that, uh, well, we're going a little uh, maybe a little more further into now, but uh, the the rock bands that you sang with, it's, uh, I read in your bio um, that you sang in several rock bands uh, in the 80s through the early 90s, uh, so I'm just imagining that that's loads of drugs and trouble, which it sounds like an evening at Michelle Kinney's house to me. Is that about right? Hey, my mom no, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it was <laughs> loads of drugs and trouble, 
because um, I was pretty mature, um, you know, individual. I mean, um, I in in 1992 I was in a rock band. At the same time, I was in the gospel choir. Uh, not that that had anything to do with my perspective on things uh, in terms of behavior. Um, I, I, I take music very seriously, and I always did, uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the gospel music was, was, was boot camp. It was very structured. The rock band gave me the freedom to do things vocally, uh, to feature me, uh, the performer, more, and I got to do a lot more fluid things. And um, so that gave me a lot more degree of freedom uh, than uh, than I had with with the structured gospel music. So they each had their different benefits, and so I was able to do them both at the same time. I don't know how I pulled it off, but somehow I, I made it work. Um, and the band that I was in was called New Life. Uh, it was a black rock coalition band, and I got in the band completely by accident. I, I called the um, the black rock coalition one day, and I talked to the secretary on the phone. I wanted to figure out how to join the organization, and one thing led to another. She says, you know, I really like your, your speaking voice. You know, my band's having a rehearsal. Can you come on down and check us out? And next thing you know, I'm in the band. So wow. <laughs> we did a lot of gigs in the, in the, in the city, around the city. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and um, it, was, it was a wonderful experience with um, the whole Black Rock Coalition uh, uh, entourage, the whole group, uh, the different groups and so forth. And I got to meet a lot of interesting uh, people uh, um, that were a part of that experience. Martina, did you sure. ever uh, cross paths with Nona Hendrix since she was sort of doing the same thing? Actually, I we did we did meet. Um, and yes, we did uh, absolutely. Uh, and I, I love her music. I love her whole approach. And I have gone to thing. a number of seminars that she actually was on. Um, I've seen some of her panels. Right. And, um, yeah, I've, I've, we've, we've crossed paths, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, no, she's another one that just had that way of blending it all and keeping it front and center and yet still sort of uh, uh, just savoring and enjoying the inner freak. Yes. You know, and that's <laughs> keeping that edge. <laughs> just brilliant about her. Isn't, isn't that what we all strive to do? I yeah. hope. Yeah. You know, but a yeah. lot of people get tamped down and get put in boxes and – are forced to live a lie and you know all sorts of things just to get by and so when you when you have sure. somebody that makes it and keeps doing it it's just it's refreshing yeah <laughs> to say the least to say the least Martina I have a quick question um Ms. Michelle here um I you know I I've only been uh, a New Yorker for eight years and I always kind of have this romantic idea about what New York was like you know before I got here. And, um, you know, I've played in a lot of clubs here as well, and um, I know it's so different now CBGB's is gone. Um, so many places are have kind of lost its grit. Um, but I, I have to ask you, what were your favorite places to perform in New York, um, and maybe why why they were? Well, um, oh, I don't know. I, I, there was a place called Sweet Jane's I used to like to go to. We, we performed there. It was just um, a lot of fun. It was um, – the crowd was intimate. Um, it was just a lot, a lot of fun. It was over on 12th Street. Uh, wow. and we used to like to go there a lot. There was another little place. It was like a little dive, uh, and I can't think of the name of the place. Delta's, Delta 88, Delta's. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and I did, I did Delta's with the choir. Believe it or not, and then we oh, were there. Wow. It was a smoky, smoky place. And then I did 
Deltas with the rock band uh, one night, late night performance, very smoky. I don't think I could see past anything uh, (laughs) from the smoke. Um, But it it just, I guess that kind of added to the uh, environment. And I don't smoke at all. And so it was really difficult to be. Gosh, I know. know. I was like saying, like, I've been so fortunate enough, you know, that I've been singing in in clubs after, you know, New York State passed the, the. the law that you can't smoke in bars anymore. Like I can't even imagine what that must be like. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I it's something about it in that you room, know, but you know, like that's taking it to a whole new level. That's terrible. <laughs> but I mean, uh, like you said, Tom, I mean, it, it sounds it like you, uh, Tom. You, you sounds like you remembered uh, the Del- Delta seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were quite interesting. No, and there were a lot of places like that back then. That you know, they're just. Even even all the um, sort of crossover cabarets that that existed then don't anymore, you know. Right. And in those days, everybody aspired to getting to the bottom line on that circuit, mm-hmm. you know. And that was just one of the great rooms. And and just to quickly go back to what we were talking about, Whitney, I Leslie and I were fortunate enough to be at the bottom line for Whitney's album party. Wow, for oh, that yeah. first oh, album when it God. came out. So you had this just turned 20-year-old gorgeous child standing on this little runway stage singing all those hits that now were just, you know, part of our everyday fabric. Sure. And it was just stunning. And I I guess that kind of thing happens still, but the electricity of it, I think, is gone. You know, it's it's all hyped before you even get to that it's anymore. True. So that the music is almost secondary the way the business pushes it now. So I'm really appreciating these new, the the people that are coming out just sort of doing it on their own and saying to hell with that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah, of that, what do you think of uh, the new school R&B, Martina? Oh, um, you know, um, music is going to change. It's going to constantly change. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I guess what I would uh, aspire to listen to, what I listen to, they now called, uh, there's a name called, it's called New, oh, God, I forgot what it's called. It starts with an N. Um, I'm losing it. Neo Soul, right? That's what they call the yeah. the, old, the new olds, right? But mm-hmm. to me, it's mm-hmm. R&B. It's, yeah. That's what I listen to. And, yep. and what they call hip-hop to me is is R&B. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the antecedents of, of, of hip-hop, it's, it's been there. It's just been evolving and constantly evolving over the years. So I can connect with with some uh, some of it. Some of it I I can't connect to because of my experience is different. But um, I love it. I, I think it's all wonderful. I think it's it's good that it's evolving and it's continuing to challenge, um, you know, um, our society. Uh, and so when it's when it's healthy, when it's um, when it's about healing and it's about helping people mm-hmm. and sending positive messages, I su- I support it. Uh, and so, um, yeah, um, absolutely. You know what? I just uh, I had a thought that I'd like to share with you all. I uh, my my favorite uh, artist, as uh, Michelle and Tom know, is R. Kelly, and he oh. is not in the old school R and B. I was thinking because you know he's he's only forty five, but he's not in the new school R and B kind of because he's forty five. So then I was like, all right, old between old school and new school, well, middle school, and then I realized that would be the worst possible thing I could call that. 
<laughs> oh, but that's when he became popular is when you guys were in middle school. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's I'm true. pretty sure I went to every fifth grade graduation that year, and they all sang, I believe I can fly. Yeah, yeah that was eighth grade. That was eighth grade for me. Yep. Wasn't yeah, that like on the that. Space Jam? I think that was on the Space Jam soundtrack. Yep. I totally had that. <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on. Um, Martina, you um, you mentioned before that you're you're singing gospel by day and then rocking out at night. Uh, so there's that dichotomy there. And your bio says that you eventually uh, created an approach that was uplifting without compromising reality. Do do you think that um, gospel compromises reality at times? Um, no, I I don't I don't think I don't think it, it, it does. I think it's the gospel is the flip side of the blues. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, 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 the blues and gospel, they're very similar musically. If you look at the, you know, when you look at the actual music, they're very similar. They're, you know, uh, the chord structures, um, you know, gospel is uplifting, happy. Blues is focusing on the, the, the you know, I got to get through this. How, how am I going to get through this? I don't know. This is hurting me. I want mm-hmm. it to stop. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they both go together. They, they both are needed. Uh, you know, to make it happen. Um, I, um, I'm no longer singing um, uh, in a gospel group um, the way I used to. I haven't sung uh, in a gospel group in a very, very long time, um, probably since about the late 90s. Um, uh, and so, um, so I think they're both needed. Um, it's just that where I'm at, where at this present, I'm at a different space uh, musically. Mm-hmm. I'm in a space where I'm doing um, primarily um, – secular music and that's where I'm at but the music is to me it's always spiritual so I don't really separate it see it as separate um, uh, sure. but I don't I don't see um, uh, I, I don't mean uh, that gospel music is, is evading reality I think gospel music is a is a way for people to uh, to deal with um, with 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 reality so uh, mm-hmm. sure now your your album your new album is called Signpost. What's the significance of that title? Well, um, it just hit me one day. You know, I just I was writing this music, and um, to me, Signpost is a is about the personal. It's about your personal journey. It's about this, your your spiritual journey through life. And the signposts are those messages, either bad or good, that we see the, the lessons that we learn along the way. And what decisions we make to um, to get us through, and it, so it's not about whether we fail or succeed. Um, it's about the journey and the lessons that we learn along the way. Hopefully, making fewer mistakes. Uh, and so it's really about that that struggle, that journey, and how we evolve uh, as we grow as as as, as individuals uh, in in our society. Martina, I love that, and I just want to compound on what you just said, because as a theater director, that's something that I tell my cast all the time, is that as we're working through this, we're going to find the signpost for the audience to be able to take whatever journey it is we want to give them, but we all need those little light guides, those little hints, Mm -hmm. those little landmarks along the way that we can get back to if we need to. So I just love that idea of signposts. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're, what, what, I, I'm, I'm personally like super. I know I, I can't stay forever, but 
on on the show right now, but I am super uh, wanting to download your album. Where can I go and and get that? Is it out yet? Has it been released? Yeah, it, it's out. You can get it on CD Baby. You can get it on iTunes, Amazon. Uh, it's everywhere. You, uh, if you go to my website, which is uh, com. Uh, you can see the links to everything there, uh, but it's available. You can just get it. Great. Amazing, awesome. amazing. I'm going to do that before I go to work. <laughs> well, check her out, Martina Downey. Um, I can't thank you enough for doing it, uh, and um, everyone should check her out, martinadowney.com. Uh, it was a pleasure. Cool beans. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, before we bring on our next awesome. ne- next guest, uh, yeah, you guys, uh, that was awesome. Very, like, lovely, lovely. I cannot wait to Love. go on and buy her album. <laughs> um, okay, so Michelle, you just said you can't stick around forever. What does that mean? I cannot. That well, that means I have to go because I have to go live the dream and host karaoke at the watering hole right now. <laughs> live the dream. <laughs> Hey, uh, Tom, do you want to go co-host the karaoke with her as well tonight? Ooh, I think not. <laughs> you don't want to hear drunk girls sing Love Shack? Why? No. <laughs> Didn't they do that on Glee the other night? Probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. Not drunkenly, though, I don't think. <laughs> you don't know that. But do you, oh, I was were drunk. You guys, oh, Michelle, you were there. Do you remember that um, the guy, what's the guy's name from the B-52s? Oh, what's his name? Um, I don't know. I didn't yeah, have well, last year. <laughs> Fred Schneider? Fred, what is it? Fred Schneider, yeah. Yes. Ted Te Schneider, is that it? Fred Schneider. Fred Schneider. So we were, Michelle and I were at this uh, Rockers on Broadway concert, and mm-hmm. Fred, Fred Schneider comes out. He opens the show. And Amazing. He, he, all he does for about <laughs> two full <laughs> minutes is bang on a cowbell just for like two minutes straight. Doesn't sing one word, and then, yeah, all of a sudden he has this weird walkie-talkie type device that makes this weird sound, and he does that for three minutes until he finally says a couple words, and the song's over. Well, was he by himself? Yep. Well, he didn't have those songs. Trying to give you the whole experience, you know, because usually Kate Pearson's the one banging on the cowbell, so he was missing her. (laughs) The one-man band. He was a one-man 52. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just a fifty. <laughs> but it sounds like he was uh, maybe a D fifty two. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, uh, well, Michelle, I hope uh, everybody sings "My Boy uh, R. Kelly" tonight. Oh. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sounds In the like closet sounds... ten. Uh, I'm sorry. In the closet ten. Yeah. Trapped in the yeah. closet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I love you. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Thanks for having me. Lovely to talk to you, Tom, Facebook friend. You too, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Right, you, you have fun. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Go play some Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, our next guest is a talented uh, musician. He's actually not only a singer, a songwriter, he's a rock star, recording artist, author, activist populist blogger and controversial YouTube star, please welcome to the program, Ed Hale. You're too kind, you're too kind. 
smell that hot. <laughs> yeah, man. How, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? That was fun listening to you guys. I've been listening to you for the last couple of minutes. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> Glad you enjoyed your wait. Sorry about the uh, the wait time there. Um, no, no, no. So, Good time, man. Very cool. <laughs> so I'm I'm here with my co-host, uh, New York theater director Tom Fogarty, and uh, we're here on Blazing Rye chatting with Ed Hale. Now, what is the scene like in San Francisco? How much how much retaroni did you eat while writing that song? <laughs> Dude, you're funny, man. Um, I don't think I ate any retaroni. I think I uh, I went to Little Italy a lot and had some, uh, most of the time, some really good Italian food. And every now and then, some, some pretty bad Italian food. But, but I actually found it to be a very cool place. And uh, we're headed there in a couple of days to shoot the music video for that song, actually. Oh, okay. And what was the video for? What song? For the song uh, seen in San Francisco for the new single oh. that's out right now. Yes, absolutely, which is awesome, by the way. Um, yeah, and you're, uh You had a song, it hit number one on the new and active charts. Uh, is there a new and inactive chart, and what makes a song active? Um, yeah, that you know, that's like industry speak um, <laughs> for... The chart is the adult contemporary radio format, and um, mm-hmm. you guys are in New York, or where are you guys yeah. located? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually have to look because in New York, just between you and me and everybody else listening, I actually listen to Z100 because I'm like a closet mm-hmm. top forty lover. But <laughs> um, I, I, I used to love WRXP till they canned it. Um, which I still mm-hmm. just can't believe that we lost our, our, our best rock station. But um, That was the one that just became a news station, right? Yeah, just freaking ridiculous, man. I mean, FM, right on the FM dial, and it's just a bunch of people talking about, you know, stupid news. I just don't get it at all. But Matt Pinfield was like the morning host. He did an awesome job. That's a whole other story. But in New York, we've got about four adult contemporary radio stations, Um you know, I've seen the band Transcendence I have for the last 10 years. We're a rock band, um, and we put out albums just as often as, um, as I put out solo albums. The the solo album that I just released, Ballad on 3rd Avenue, where this song, Seen in San Francisco, is from, is more of a singer-songwriter type vibe. So the hit singles have been going to the adult contemporary radio stations, and mm-hmm. I feel a little silly not being able to tell you what their names are in New York, but you know those stations that are like like Light FM and Soft Rock and all that stuff? That's the format. Yeah, sure. Okay, so what specifically what number one new and most active means, it's not a radio format. It's just a radio term, which means it was the most active song on the chart that week, meaning it, it like moved the, the most positions. This one debuted at 33. I don't know even know where it was before. I think it was 90 something, so it jumped like 60 spots into the top 40 at wow. number 33. So that's what that actually means. That's awesome. Um yeah, and it's, it's uh amazing. Yes, definitely. Uh and now you're I read the, the weirdest uh quote uh, right on your uh, page um from I believe it was from Washington Square News. 
where uh, the uh, reviewer said, and I, I've never seen a quote like this on anybody else's page to promote oneself, but it says, lush, original, bland, well-crafted, perverted, mildly entertaining, and hauntingly familiar yet futuristic. Explain that, that review to me. I don't know, man. I mean, that, wow, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, who wrote it? Washington Square Press? I don't even know what yeah, that is. Yeah. But, you know, I remember uh, Washington Square, the club, you know, back in Miami. I, we used to tour and play that place, and there's Washington Square Park in New York, and um, I don't even know what that is. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> just so much stuff that's out there right now. I read a review the other day um, of of this album, the solo album, Ballad on Third Avenue, which just railed against Ed Hale, quote-unquote, for um, saying that there was Mellotron on the album, but that we didn't use enough Mellotron. And it sounded like we had the nerve to use real flute instead of Mellotron. And Damn. that was the basis of his entire review uh, from some magazines. So go figure. <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> Stuff gets said, Tom, you're, sometimes it just makes you laugh. Well, that just makes you wonder if the Xanax dose was appropriate for that day or not. <laughs> now, Tom, you're in Washington Square. Did you, you live there. Did you write this review? No, I did not. But I, I like the sort of the flip-floppiness of it because uh, one of my favorite reviews of all time back when I was dancing in the 70s and from San Francisco of all places person said that the show that I put on was a freak show, and they meant it, you know, not in a good way. Well, I used that in my bio for the next three years, because I just thought that was great, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. You got a freak show you out know, of it? Fine. Yeah. yeah that's, I, sometimes yeah. I quote, um, I quote like, my haters when I'm promoting the uh, Blaze and Rise show, and I'll, like, be like, join us at eight tonight, and then I'll quote, this guy's an idiot, you know, about myself, because that's been said. Yeah. But, but it helps yeah. because people will tune in to, to listen to something like that. You know, I mean, it's better than just saying it's a really good show or something. You know? Yeah, who wants that? We, we yeah. all want to yeah. embrace our inner freak, as we were saying before. Right. you got to find the yeah. people that want to go see a freak show. That's all. And we got our, our inner idiot freaks. Our, yeah. Our, our, our inner bland idiot freaks. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, uh, sir Ed, you, Mr. Sorry, Mr. Ambassador, I should say, you are a controversial YouTube star. What, what is, why, why is that? Um, yeah, we, got, we I think we got to have a talk with our publicist. Um, I, <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think it's because back in the day, when, when I first discovered it, me, me and the, the guys in my band back in '06 or '07. We thought it was incredible, this idea that whatever we wanted to, we could just video and then just put on YouTube. We were doing it pretty much 24 hours a day for about two <laughs> years there Oops. as an experiment just to see if, if they would let us, you know. And yeah. uh, we just posted everything, man. I mean, as anything and everything. I think I posted about 103 videos in a year between my January of 06 and January of 07 just anything that 
came up, I would just get on there and talk, and then we'd upload it, or we would just upload stuff that, you know, we were doing in the studio, just the craziest stuff. And um, what I find most interesting about it is that it is when you look at your rankings uh, of, of your videos, and, and I'm not talking about music videos here because that's a whole different thing. It's very political, and it's all about money and stuff. But um, specifically about stuff that you post that, that's dialoguing or conversational, um, I think it's really, really interesting to just kind of look at your videos and see what people are, are viewing the most, what people are reacting to the most. Um, I went on once after a, a drunken night with a bunch of friends in New York City and just uh, came home and just ranted about the gun laws in New York City, which I didn't really know about. But I looked them up and I just couldn't believe how um, strict they were and how prohibitive they were. Let's put it that way. Um, and I just went and, you know, ranted about that for 10 minutes and posted it. And it was incredible in terms of the the response from from people. And um, what I found really weird about it was that the primary demographic that was responding to it were people that were considered, say, very right-wing, which is not a group I've ever really fit into before, right? But then there's all these people just watching it and commenting on it and sharing it, you know, and the rest of my videos are obviously not very right-wing, so... I, I just think it's it's great. I think it's incredible, the whole YouTube thing. I mean, it's changed, it's changed the fabric of our society just incredibly over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So was that the, the video that was the controversial one, the one where you were talking about the gun laws in New York? There was a nappy-headed hoe one. Oops. Oh, dear. You had an R. Kelly lot. moment? Yeah, that caused like a, a lot of Don Imus moment. Bus, Don Imus moment. Um, yeah, I kind of felt like Don, Don Imus got the shafts there, right? So uh-huh. I had done some work with Reverend Al in other arenas on television, but I just thought he was really taking advantage of the situation with Don Imus. So I wrote him a little Happy Headed Toe song, uh, Reverend Al, um, and posted it to Utah too, and just got blasted by it. Certain people, um, certain you know, a demographic that that didn't think that that was appropriate. But I just didn't feel it was appropriate to to fire Don for doing what he does, which is just make jokes, right? And he was making jokes, and it just so I was just making jokes in return, and all of a sudden it just blew up. I was a racist or whatever, and I wasn't being racist at all. I was just saying, I mean, come on, you know, give the guy a break. Could be different if. I mean, you, can, you guys know, you guys are talk, radio talk show hosts, so you guys know you have to be careful with what you say in this environment, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, what, what did you it's think crazy. about that, Tom, when that whole thing happened? Because I do remember thinking um, maybe it was an insensitive thing to say, but but firing him seemed, just for be, being the shocking guy that he is, did seem extreme to me. Right, there's a real hypocrisy level there. I mean, you know, on one hand, you're sort of like egging the person on to be as daring and challenging as he can be. And, yeah, sometimes it's going to backfire, but you just let it go. But in these, like, ultra-sensitive times that we seem to be in, you know, that alone gives people 
their own platform, and then somebody else gets to take off on top of that. So uh, it's yes. just it's a mess. You know, it's like it to, it's like listening to Nancy Grace now going on about Whitney and who pushed mm-hmm. her down under the water. You know, that's that's how she misinterpreted the whole report that came out in L.A. that and why they said what they said and didn't say what you know she thinks they should have said. It's like, excuse mm-hmm. me. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know. Pierce is now doing the same thing yeah. as well. Yeah, um, he's had this nausea. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And he's doing it every night. I mean, enough is enough. Number one, and number two, it's it's nobody's fault unless someone literally just you know forced her to do right. stuff, which I sincerely doubt. I don't know if you guys watched any of the Pierce Morgan um, interviews over the last couple of nights, but no, Pierce, I haven't seen any. Well, he just seems completely obsessed, man. I mean, it's been five nights in a row now, and all he's done is talk about Whitney Houston. And the primary reason he's doing it is because he keeps wanting to blame people for what happened. You know, and he's uh-huh. a very well-meaning person. You know, he's a nice guy, but he, he just refuses to accept that she's a strong-willed person who has responsibility for her own life like the rest of us do. And she made these decisions. And, you know, it's like Diane Warren was on there two nights ago, and um, we were tweeting back and forth about it. And, you know, she went on and just said, Pierce, look, you can't blame the people that are with Whitney when they're on her payroll. And she said, go give me a drink. And then if they don't, she's going to fire them. So what are they supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I didn't know that Nancy Grace was doing that uh you know, coincidentally, Nancy is actually a member of the church that I attend in New York, and ah. know, Nancy's Nancy's on-air personality is very different than her, you know, private personality. But but she does mm-hmm. tend to get a little. Well, you know, it's just that that's the new bone that she's gotten a hold of, and she's just going to run with it until, until you know, the final yeah. thing comes out, which they're saying what is going to be six weeks now, so. Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to get to hear that nightly from her little sound bit. But, you know, it's what you were just saying, Ed, about the Pierce thing. I mean, it's on one hand to blame her inner circle. You know, that's very easy to do. But what about the press then? When the press <laughs> continually saw the trouble that this woman was in and continued yep. to report it, and instead of reporting right. it in such a way as to say, look, this is for you you need to, like, get a hold of yourself instead of just constantly sensationalizing it and making it, you know, second and third hand. Yep. Yeah. Completely yep. complicit in it as well. Well, it's sensationalism, is what, it's sensationalism is what it is. And it's like, yeah. uh, it's like what uh, Shaka Khan had said recently about it, or maybe Six from Motley Crue had said about it recently, that uh, why is it that everybody loves you the most once you're dead, right, and right. that's that 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 speaks, you know, I think to exactly what you're saying. I mean, that's all we've heard about now for 20 years about Whitney Houston is yeah. the press talking yeah. about and her. And it's before Bobby Love Brown time. even, you know. So now it's like real easy to beat up on him for any number of reasons. But no, she was in that slide before him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I don't know much about them. All I know, though, is that what you're saying is very, very true in terms of all we read about for the last 20 years is 
her drug problems, right. but not not in any kind of like supportive, encouraging way, like, hey, Whitney, we love you and wish you the best of luck, but more like tabloid shocker, Whitney yeah. on death's door from cocaine abuse, and it's bam, 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 bam for 20 years about that, and she dies of it, you know, I mean, for obvious reasons, because she's been so beat up and lambasted by the press, and now all of a sudden the press is like, done a complete reversal, like, oh my god, we can't yeah. believe this has happened, whose fault is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, same thing happened with Michael Jackson. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. They're totally complicit in it, so it's absolutely it's ridiculous. Now, Ed, you're, uh, while we're on this this morbid uh, tip and death and all that, I, I read a quote of yours from from a blog, and it says uh, from your blog, still finding myself obsessed with a quiet, secret, subtle, and almost constant gnawing at my insides about the unbearable sadness of how impermanent everything is. Our lifetimes are short here. I remind myself that it's up to me to find the meaning. While I'm here, I try to live my life to its fullest, and even then I cannot shake the deep underlying knowing that they are just they are all just moments lived and then soon forgotten. Where is the meaning in that? What uh what what Touché. girl uh, broke up with you that day? What 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 was the deal there? <laughs> oh man, dude, you are so funny. Um yeah, man. <laughs> Wow. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I mean, I remember for me that happened when I was 16, that moment of realizing that, you know, that that is what it, that, that, you know, and we can try to run from that um, into any number of different little caves if we want to. Um, but in general, that's that, that's, that's the big realization or the big aha we get at the end of the road is that mm-hmm. this life is super short and we don't know when it's going to end. And honestly, we don't know what's going to happen when it does end. And it's hard sometimes to find meaning. Like it's really hard for a lot of people, I think, to find true meaning. And what I mean by that is the underlying meaning behind things or underneath things. Um, mm-hmm. One, you know, if someone's parents die or if someone's marriage ends or, you know, I mean, look, it, I, don't, I don't know how deep you want to go with this, but it's, you know, it's not about breaking up with people or anything like that. It's more like just like finding that, like those, those nuggets, those moments that really do make you feel like, okay, that really meant something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like that. And then even then, who the hell knows, right? Because then a couple of days later you've forgotten about it, you've moved on, and you know you're still left with that feeling of like, you know, what's going to happen next, or you know, what happens after we die, or whatever. But. Well, that's so interesting. This would come up because I literally was just having this conversation with someone yesterday, and I was saying, and I think again it was because of this Whitney and the play that I'm doing and dealing with the death of one of the people in the play, and oh. that realization that. I remember just like what you were saying when I was in my teens and just the the shock, the ter- literal terror that would come over me when I would, like, find myself going down that road. Oh, shit, when you die, you're dead and you're gone, and that's the end of it. Yep. And then realizing that that terror was a little tamped down in my 30s and that I would still, you know, it would happen occasionally, like when my father died, I, like, experience that again 
and got to that point, but it like took a while. And now I'm like going, hmm, where did it go? I thought that was going to be present and there all the time. And now it seems to, once you get to a certain point in life, in the journey that you're on, you do start to realize that 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 really doesn't matter. It's the right now, this minute yes. that matters. Yes. And what am I going to do with that? How am I going to make the most of that? And will I make the most of it? It's just the will questions I make, become completely yeah. different. Completely different. So I love that little rant that you just put out there because you sort of hit on all of those phases that I just sort of mentioned having gone through. And now it's like I sort of miss having that moment of just absolute terror about the my my mortality. Forget immortality, just my mortality. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that you say that, um, being, being a um, theater person, because... You know, Woody Allen has talked about it and touched on it so much over the last 30 years in his films. That kind of seems to be the thing that he's most obsessed about, too. And he does it in a really comedic way, which I think is one of the things, one of the many things that we all appreciate about him is, you know, the fact that he has that same sense about things, um, but he makes it funny. You know, it's tragic, obviously. I mean, it's, it's the tragic curse of our DNA that. We know we're here, supposedly unlike the other animals on Earth, but we don't know why we're here or how we got here or where we're going post here. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, the big glitch in the system, isn't it? Right. So, you know, at the same time, though, I think once we reach that stage where we make a conscious decision to overcome the uh, horror of that then we have to kind of pick ourselves up from the field position and begin to go deliberately look for value and meaning in, in every day, but, you know, in, in whatever way that is. And I don't think any of us can tell the other person, you know, what's valuable or what's meaningful, you know. Right, and also just to say maybe we don't even get to that point or have that luxury. I mean, I'm immediately thinking of Spalding Gray. Who, oh my God! You know, my apparently God. just walked off the back of the Staten Island yep. ferry one evening. There was no reason he should have been on there, but that's where he was the last time he was seen. And it's not to say that I could do that, but I have just reached a point in my life where I can understand how someone can do that. Hmm. When you just reach a point of saying, "Okay, I guess I want to have absolute control over what's going on here." And I'm not really having the time that I was promised or enjoying it, so I'm gonna say goodnight. I I heard. I I feel like we should let Ryan in on this. Um, he might have actually, left the room. I'm not sure. <laughs> actually, just wanted to. Uh, uh, we got Tom Fuller coming up in a couple minutes. Tom, hang on, hang tight, and uh, uh, Ed. I just want to make sure we get your uh, your website in. It's edhale.com. And the new album is Ballad on Third Avenue. And sorry to interrupt. What were you going to say? What I was going to say is what you know. We have to remember that you know I was a huge Spalding Gray fan too. And um, from what I read, he was going through depression, right? Yeah. Um, and, and evidently, he just was tired of dealing with it. So he decided to stop being a burden to his family and just you know off himself. Quite frankly, um, because of the nature, the comedic nature of y'all's. Um, 
show. If I were him, I would have just taken a bunch of shrooms and, and or flown to Egypt or done something, you know. I wouldn't have just walked off the ferry or jumped off the bridge. I mean, you know, I, I always think when people reach that point where, including myself, you know, all of us have gotten to that point probably where we just feel super depressed. It's time to do something way, way, way crazy or freaky. And, you know, as opposed to just end your life. Right. You know, because you do have another day, right? And you may be super depressed. Drop some shrooms and fly to Egypt and go ride a camel or something. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Ed, I, I want to thank you for being lush, original, bland, well-crafted, perverted, mildly entertaining, and hauntingly familiar yet futuristic. Um, I hope you come back and do our, our uh, Hot Topics panel sometime. Hey, we will, man. Please just let us know when and where, and we will, all right? Yeah, I'm still trying uh, to wrap my mind around dropping a camel and riding a shroom. <laughs> hey, you guys are great. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Very appreciated. Right back at All you, right. man. Take care. Have a good night. Yep. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, all right, that was Ed Hale. Um <laughs> So what was it, dropping a camel and what, riding a shroom? Yeah, he said ride a camel and drop a shroom, and I, of course, immediately transposed that to uh, drop a camel <laughs> and ride a shroom. <sighs> well, well, our next guest uh, uh, is the leader of the Tom Fuller Band, and um, the new album, Ask, is, as Birmingham Sunday Mercury calls it, quite simply, a great Top record. Please welcome to the program, Tom Fuller. Wow, very cool. Hey, Thanks Tom. for having me. Absolutely. Now, uh, see, now we have two Toms on the show, and now when I say Tom, it's gonna. Be... Well, let's see what happens. Hey, well, Tom, what's who's up? The other, who's the other Tom? <laughs> that would be me, this Tom. Is... <laughs> well, I tell you what. You know what we ought to do? We ought to call one time. We can call the other Tommy or T. How's that? Call him T. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll, you can I'm call me. Call... You can call I'm me Uncle Tom say. too. I don't care. But you know what? I'll answer to just about anything. Yeah. But late for dinner. All right. All right, Tom Fogarty. I'll call you Uncle. And uh, Tom Fuller, you're Tom for tonight. All right. <laughs> now. Um, Tom, your your new album Ask is getting great reviews. Um, why the title Ask? Um, that's a, that's a good question. We had uh, we had a number of different ideas to go with, and everybody kind of agreed that Ask the single was pretty strong. And you know, we it just kind of evolved where it was such a simple title, no one could think of anybody that had used that, and we thought, screw it, let's just do it, and we did. Awesome, I'll, I'll take that. Great. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and now the 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 band Tom Fuller Band. How did you get the name of your band? You know. Um, I started out doing, you know, building myself as a singer songwriter. But you know what? I, I had gone through a phase where I was writing, you know, a lot of singer-songwriter type of tunes, you know. But I was growing as a writer, and I was starting really to write, you know, God, I was writing vaudeville tunes, a, a couple of blues tunes, and some real cool rockers in addition with pop 
stuff and the sweetheart ballad. And, you know, I needed more and more guys to play with me. And then it was suggested, you know, you're, you're not, it's not just you, even though I write the music and sing and all that. It, you know, I, I'm a big believer that it's a team game. And so someone suggested, why don't you just call it a band? And I was like, yeah, let's just do that. And, and I, I haven't looked back since. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of like now, as, as I grew and as the music grew, I needed more people to do it right, and it was like, you know, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So let's just do it together. I like that too. Uh, now, you you're from Chicago. Um, right. What does being from Chicago uh, bring to your music? Do you think? Um, you know, the blues thing is kind of there too, um, but. Chicago, Chicago independent music is real rough and edgy, and you know there's a, a lot of people doing a lot of really really cool things. Um, you learn real quick to you have to be an innovator if you can. Uh, you have to get along with people, but I, I think it's a great place to get exposed to music. There's a lot of different genres that are happening here. Cool. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing a duet with uh, Chicago's own? R. Kelly or uh, Kanye West or Common? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be open to anything. I'd be open <laughs> awesome. to anything. I, I would Duets love to hear that. Duets are a lot of fun. Sorry? Duets are a lot of fun. Oh, are, are they? Do you, do you have more fun doing duets than you do um, <laughs> doing solos? No, no, no. I would choose, I don't know, I would choose solo all the time. Okay. Now you, the um, you are known for breaking rules in music. Uh, I, I read a quote: "A couple of sections violate music laws." I'm not a trained guy. It feels good to me. I run with it. I don't give a shit about the rules. Um, yeah, right. Do people do people give you shit about not giving a shit about the rules? Uh, no, actually, I think they applaud it and and they like it. You know, and when. When that I've had that happen, you know, like three or four times. I don't read music and I don't I don't write music. Um, I think if somebody put cheap music in front of me, I think I could figure it out. But you know, it would take like all day to do it. You know, and even then, I wouldn't be sure. Um, you know, I I don't know. Um, what do you think? What do you think, Uncle Tom? Uh, yeah, run with it. I mean, I'm well, just, you know, I'm just you, okay, trying to well, think. Going back, you know, going back to the music rules, okay? I remember I was, I was, it was a song one of the early ones I did. It was called "Wherever You're, Wherever You May Be," and you know, I, I just went all over on the map, and I, I remember this keyboard guy that was that was playing this one part. He was just shaking his head, and he said, "I can't believe you went from this to this, and then back to this, and it worked perfectly." And I said, "Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, it sounded great." And he said, yeah, that's just it. And he said, but the way I was trained, you, you violated a couple of rules and that just defy it. And I said, and that's when I, I started to be aware that, you know, it feels good and it's not it's not piercing my ear that there's something wrong and it's a feel good. Shit, just go with it, you know, because, I mean, that's real honest. Yeah, there's lessons sure. like that in everything. I mean, I remember back in college when I was, dancing and as a dancer having to take composition class the same thing you'd have to do if you were you know doing a music class and we had these compositions that we had to fulfill the compositional requirement every week you know and it had you had to do a b c and d well i had just so had it but that crap that i went in one day the movie 
taxi driver had just come out. So I decided to go in, and I did this. It was supposed to be a one-minute exercise. But I did this, like, 11-minute thing, you know, that ended up with the physical equivalent of you talking to me. You and we got down to the end of it, and the instructor said, well, that was a work of art. But then she asked the class, did it fulfill the compositional requirement? At which point I said, see ya, and went across the street to the bar. It's like, <laughs> what's the point? I'll right. take a work of art any day over, you know, trying to figure out whether I fulfilled the compositional problem. You so know what, my take, on it, my take on it is the teacher had an insecurity flash and wanted to just bring it down a couple of notches. Yeah, but isn't that, I mean, that's, that's what they're all out there to do. And you know? totally lost. you got to follow together. the rules. <laughs> there are people like that out there. There really are. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if, you know, you just go back to all the original blues folks. They just learned by sitting on the porch with the guitar. They didn't right. read music. They didn't follow right. the thematic scale. They didn't, you know, it's just, it's inherent. It's something that's that's in you, and you've got to let it out. So if you exactly. don't with it, what can be wrong? Well, you know, if you got to get a pool all the time, it, you know, it gets old, and you're you're better off doing doing what's most true to yourself. Right. I'll yeah. tell you what. I I've been I've actually been in a studio and was playing some finger pick thing up on the neck of the guitar, and this studio guy said to me, he said, "Wow, man, I really I really dig that chord. What are you playing?" I had no idea what I was playing. <laughs> and I had no problem walking over to him with my guitar. And I said, "Dan, I, I have no, <clears throat> I have no clue what chord this is." He said, "Oh, shit, you got, you got a B, you got a B flat minor augmented ninth thing going on on a, on a low D." I had no idea what he was talking about, but it didn't matter, and it was fun. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I got in a big argument with uh, a friend over the uh, musical American Idiot, the Green Day musical. He really hated it. I liked it. Um, and it was just, I mean, I didn't think it was amazing, but I enjoyed it. And his whole argument was that, like, it didn't really have a concrete story and musicals have rules and all this stuff. And I was just like, but art isn't supposed to have rules. And he was like, of course it has rules and musicals have rules. But I thought that was kind of whack. You know what, if you had a good time, that's really all that matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, you know. Speaking, yeah, uh, speaking of good times, uh, I read a quote. Fuller can hang and bang with the best of them. Who are you hanging with, and who are you banging with? Well, I don't. First of all, I don't. I don't kiss and tell, so that takes care <laughs> of the banging thing. And and hanging with, you know what? I've been. <clears throat> I just got done having some uh, people over from the UK and, and the music world. So I, I spent time with them. Uh, it's the last. It's like the last week has just been praised with either rehearsing with the band, uh, dealing with some a couple of music things. Uh, it, you know, I hang with whoever I hang with. But my my challenge lately is is it just seems like I never have any time. <clears throat> and when I do have time, it's like I've got this to do list and shit. Mm-hmm. Can you guys relate to that? Uh huh. And I, I mean, know, like tonight, I'm like tonight, feeling okay, bad that we're on your to do list. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'll tell you what, I, I found out about this, and I've just had I've just had a lot of shit going on, and so and so I got this call, and it's like, don't forget, you got that radio thing at 8, and I was like, oh, man, and, yeah, well, I feel you. And, well, it was just that I've just been really scattered with a, with a lot going on and stuff, but it was it was a priority to me, and uh, no way I was going right. to, you know, turn it down. Thanks for having right, me. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, I, um, I just well, want to say one thing. Listening to the tunes that were on that, the what is the cyber site, Ryan, that you yeah, sent me? Listening to the tunes that were on there, there was one that just sort of, I have not thought about this album in years, but it jumped out at me. Do you remember John Mellencamp's very first album when he was Johnny Cougar? Uh, that's right, John. Yeah, John Cougar. John Cougar. Which, which it was tune? just something about the sort of very sparse but yet full sound, almost like there was like a little tinge of glam to it that I just found so captivating. Which is tune? that something that has worked through a lot of your music, or that's just where you're at now? Well, am I, am I speaking with Ryan or Tom? Is this Tom? This is yeah. This is that's Uncle Tom. Tom yeah. Tom, what song are you, what song are you referring to? Uh, I think it's the third it's the third one. Third one. I think you have four it. listed on there, and I think it's the third one. Take me away. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. That's that's a fun song to do. And it truly speaks to you know I mean when when you just right off the bat said this you're the singer songwriter that 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 has been sort of where you came out of and came from. That's right. The, so part of that genre. I mean, you well, know, you know what? Here, here's something. Here's what I want to share with you, Tom. That makes that song kind of cool, and in the context with what I was saying about you know uh, being a singer-songwriter first and then falling in love with the band concept, is "Take Me Away." I wrote all the music for that in London in a hotel one night, and it was all finger-pick, slow, a real slow ballad finger-pick tune that was just drop-dead gorgeous, really slow, but. But there was something about it that just never, it never felt right. And and I had been all, oh my God, when I write music, most of the time the music comes pretty quickly. It's almost like I tune into it. But it takes, the longest part of my game is crafting lyrics. And, you know, because I just, I, I've just learned that there's the lyric is just as important as the music. And, you know, I, I just hate lame lyrics, so I, I work really hard at it. But on Take Me Away, I had the music, and I was playing it as a ballad. But what, all the all the story ideas that I was going with, God, none of them, none of them felt right. And uh, finally, I, I had uh, an experience that was a tough one to, to go through where I was feeling a lot of abandonment and all the negative feelings towards one person and the main feeling probably was just being hurt and just kind of like by magic I, the words were starting to come but instead of finger picking it I was just kind of strumming and the more I got into it it was like you know this is not this is not destined to be a ballad this has got to be a, a pop rocker thing and that's what happened if we're talking about the same song I hope we are and yet what's interesting is that or unless, or unless it was doing nothing you know, Doing Nothing could have been the third track, too, which is just simplistic pop, and it's, it's with a great message, you know. No, I think it's, I, no, it's the other one, because I... Take me away, yeah. What I'm hearing is that, that that's still all there. Even though you, you know, sort of blew it up and grew it up, if I understand what you're saying, it's still that the, the gorgeous original nugget, that through line, well, is thank still you. there. Thank you. Um, but, but what wound up happening, Tom, was that I think the 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 words of the song met, met the vibe of the music and put together it's a pretty good set. Right, right, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Now, um, Tom Tom Fuller, uh, you have 
actually just uh, been working with uh, Paul McCartney's longtime uh, musicians, and I know that you've um, long admired Sir Paul. What was that like having them right there playing with you? I tell you what, it was it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, and my producer. Rick is a good friend of Brian Ray, who's uh, one of Paul's guitar guys. And, you know, so I had this collection of tunes and we were going to uh, get together. And uh, the phone rang and he said, look, do you want to record with Abel Boreal Jr., who's Paul's drummer, and, and my buddy, Brian Ray. And it was, it, seriously, it was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So he set it all up and everybody kind of met in L.A. And, you know, Abe is such a phenomenal drummer. I mean, he's unbelievable. And I've seen him play with Eric Clapton. But more importantly, I've seen both of these guys in all the McCartney videos, and not to mention I've seen him uh, perform. And I had met Brian years earlier. But So we get out there, and, you know, these these were just really wonderful human beings. I mean, brilliant, <clears throat> just phenomenal uh, musicians. I mean, I'm not a drummer, but Abe shows up for a session with a guy that he doesn't really know much about. And he brings 36 snare drums. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, oh, my God. I said, Abe, do you have enough? And he said, yeah, man, I wanted to just be prepared because I wasn't sure what we were going to get into. And I loved the fact that this guy was treating my project as, like, his number one thing they had going on. And uh, so that was just cool. And they, they did their creative thing. They they loved all the tracks and thought they were really cool. Um, and the, the conversations about what's it like to play with Paul or, or what's he like to hang with? And, you know, does he really get, does he really smoke really good stuff, you know? And it, it was really wonderful. It was, it was really a lot of fun. So That's what awesome. I've done um, is whenever Paul does a show and I can go to what I go to the show and I go backstage and hang out with the guys and keep that, keep it going. They're great. Really, really great guys. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. Did you now, uh, obviously you were influenced, um, musically by the Beatles, Paul McCartney. Who else uh, have been uh, major influences musically in your life? Um, I've admired Eric Clapton for a long time. There was a, a band. <clears throat> there was a band. Do you remember a band out of Canada called Clotu? I don't. Do you, Uncle Tom? Mm, no. What? Yeah, ring a bell. Well, this, I, I think this, I don't know how far back this goes. This is yeah, like, what time frame? Shit, I don't know. Maybe the... This is a long time ago, guys, like the mid-'80s. I just stumbled into this band called Potu. But a lot of the British rock guys followed, you know, British rock music for a long time. Uh, and yet, you know, the guys like James Taylor and Mellon Camp and all those guys, just fabulous guys. But I think, what's the, you know, when you grow up and you're doing this stuff and you hear all these influences and you hear all this music, eventually, though, I think you, you wind up, get into a place where you know what you feel like you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I never felt like I was a, you know, a certain kind of a songwriter. I, I always felt like I, because I always had a high appreciation, um, you know, like for musicals. Some of the music and, you know, most of the music and musicals are is always great music as well as, you know, turning on and listening to great rock music. So I think yeah. I've, I've come into my own I write what I feel. I write what, what uh, you know, what what is on, what gets on my radar screen. I'll write about, and that's what I do. And if it's and if it's the final product is 
a song like on Ask Called Best of Me, which is really just a wonderful ballad, uh, going from that to a rocker like Morphine Maureen, you know, just two completely different uh, types of music, and then finish it off with some other cool stuff. So it's been a fun ride, to say the least. Sure. One thing, you know, you one thing up. I should tell you, one thing I, I do want to say, <clears throat> because I, I love my band guys, and I, I think I don't get a, a, to talk about them enough, but the cool mm-hmm. thing about Ask is you've got 12 wonderful tunes, okay? <clears throat> Six of them, I think, were recorded with Abe and Brian, and seven of them were with Abe and Brian, and five of them I did with my band, okay? And I'm going to tell you, it's seamless. And unless you look up, to, unless you know what songs those guys played on, you'd never tell the difference. Yeah, so I'm real. I'm real proud of those guys. They, they stepped up and they're they're terrific. Awesome! Shout out to to your band. Um, there's a uh, a song of yours that has this great line in it. Um, Keeping time has the the key line: "The fire and passion of any dream will let no one or thing come in between." Uh, speak to this line. What do you What do you mean by this? Um, Ryan, I think it's cool that you caught that because it is. I think it's a gem too, and um, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to hide here. But I was in a real, I was in a, a real uh, short time relationship. Actually, I was in a marriage, <clears throat> and um, I, just some stuff happened with within months of being married that I realized that, um, or at least I felt that she didn't really get it as to how important my music career was. <clears throat> and it was almost like her agenda was just totally different than what I, I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I was in kind of a, a real weird situation where it was like, you know, I could just continue this and pretend that everything was just fine. <clears throat> but that would that would just tear me up inside. And um, that is what that line is about is that I just wasn't going to let certain things get in the way. It just wasn't going to be an option. So I made a choice. Yeah. So and I it's just choice. not, I think any of us in the, in the arts can relate to that. It's just not worth it. It's not worth, you know, being miserable all the time and sacrificing what you love. You know what, Ryan? I, I honestly felt like I was at, at this, this crossroads and mm-hmm. was I going to sell myself out, you know? And, right. and that's what I mean about that fire and passion of a dream that no longer thinks of me. Um, man, that's how I felt when I wrote it. I really felt that strongly. Still do, still do tonight. But you know, thank God I had that because if I didn't have that, Brian, maybe I wouldn't have written "Ask" and we wouldn't be talking music tonight. You know, that's right. great. Absolutely. You also uh, in that song reveal life goes life does go on and with another day you can fill up the backpack with hope why not a messenger bag or a satchel what did i say i used oh backpack yeah oh yeah that's right i said a backpack well because i've got a lot of uh of stuff i guess <laughs> i like i need a lot of room and a lot of space i don't know <laughs> all right tom well i'll tell you what uh people can go check you out at TomFullerBand.com. Uh, the new it. album is Ask, getting great reviews. Uh, is the, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a blast. Anything else you want to say before we go? 
No, I. you know what? I'm new to your show, but I listened intently to that other artist that was on, and it was it was a turn-on to listen, and I will be checking you guys out. And, again, thanks for having me on. Let's do this again sometime. Great. Thanks, man. All right. You guys take care. Later. You too. Have a good night. Bye. All right. That was Tom Fuller of Tom Fuller Band. Okay. So let's uh, recap um, with Uncle Tom Fogarty here. We had – we just spoke with Tom Fuller. Go to TomFullerBand.com. Follow them at Tom Fuller Band on Twitter. Uh, Also had – the uh, Ed Hale, go to edhale.com. Um, I believe it's Ed Hale Music on Twitter. And also, of course, Martina Downey, who does not seem to have a, t- a Twitter Twitter account. Um, so just to go to her, her website, martinadowney.com, and uh, make sure you guys vote. What is it that everyone's supposed to vote for, Tom Fogarty? For you. <laughs> go. <laughs> go. <laughs> Go to shortyawards.com slash blaze and rye, cast your vote, um, and uh, you feel thank a you to everyone way who that has. What did you say? If you feel a certain way, that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, thank you to everyone who has voted and gotten us up in the top 12. Now, uh, you are currently working on 10 tall tales about the men I love. It'll be at Judson Memorial Church, February 24th and 25th. What yep, time next you? Friday and Saturday. The performances are free. We are taking donations. We're running it as sort of a uh, mini fundraiser for the Ali Forney Center, which I don't know if you know, but it's a really great organization that helps LGBT plus youth who find themselves here in the city uh, and homeless. And there just never seems to be enough uh, spaces for those kids to to come to and to hang out and to sleep for a night and to eat. And so we're doing it as a little fundraiser. And as I said, it is free. It's about an hour long, and that includes a little dance party. And we're just hoping people will come out and enjoy it for what it is. Well, and it really seems like you you're... It out. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like this, this – yeah, I don't know much about this, this church, but, I you know, I've known you long enough to know that it seems like whatever they're doing, they're, they seem to be – committed to doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they've they've given over their space to artists for years. So, yeah. I mean, their 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 art ministry goes back to the early 60s. So, it's it's just an amazing place and an amazing uh room to to do something in. Awesome. Well, I commend you, sir, for doing your stuff fizzle and doing your thing and just being real with it like we were talking about and finding your inner freak. There you go. You know my inner freak is always here, baby. <laughs> Tom Fogarty, thank you so much for co-hosting tonight. Um, just want to uh, say we're going to be back next week with more uh, episodes. And go to shortyawards.com slash plays and rye. I can think of no better way to end this episode than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, it's a break, Florence. Good night, everybody. Ciao, belly.